0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10
1: per order. Additional terms apply.
0: 3-1. It's on the way.
1: Swung on and drilled in the air. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. David Bodie. A booming three-run homer to left. It hit the facing of a little picnic area. Beyond the left field bleachers. That is a monstrous home run by Bodie. And the Cubs lead five to nothing. What a blast! Welcome back in on 670 to score. That is Pat Hughes, the voice of the Cubs, right here. And that is David Bodie's second home run, which he deposited deep into the left field stands. David Bodie with a big night. Think about all the moments in his young career, which is a year and one week old. One year and seven days. Uh, the walk-off Grand Slam, the walk-off last week, followed by, followed by a flight and a berth and and David Bodie, just absolutely killing the ball uh, right now while playing a very high level third base second base when asked has become a very valuable member of these Chicago Cubs and a guy that should play they 've got a lot of people that need to play, some that you know maybe maybe don 't need to play quite as much i 'll tell you what they don 't really need, and that 's another middle infielder i don 't see how they need another middle infielder, but addison Russell is going to be eligible to come off the uh the suspended list um on the 3rd of May. I don't think he'll be on the big club on the 3rd of May. I think that uh they're going to use an option and give him a little more time down on the farm. That's just that's just a guess uh, as he works on second base defensively. But boy, David Bodie is uh he's got a 953 OPS. And doing a lot last night. The story of the game last night, though, is you, Darvish, getting through six innings for your Chicago Cubs. His first quality start of the year. And people are writing, people are hoping, people are dreaming that maybe this is that turnaround game. As we, despite what Theo Epstein said, we are having the start-to-start referendum. On you Darvish's season, or as I call it, the every-fifth-day wellness check on you Darvish. Let's talk some Diamondbacks and Cubs and some other stuff with the Diamondbacks pre- and post-host. And you hear him also on MLB Network Radio. He is Mike Ferren joining us right now on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, nice, to, nice to talk to you. I don't know if I've ever talked to you on the air, but, boy, I listened, used to listen to the Baseball Prospectus podcast with our mutual pal Kevin Goldstein quite a bit back yep. in the day. So, uh, you know, thank you for being here. Um, you, Darvish, is, go ahead.
0: I, I- to go and see Tributosaurus when I lived in Chicago. So I've been a big fan for a long time. Too,
1: oh, so. look at that. So how is this possible that this has not happened, for God's sakes? This, this is kismet. <laughs> it, it was about <laughs> time. All right. Um, well, well, Mike, you know, you Darvish is an interesting dude. What did you? What were you thinking as you watched him last night? And you've obviously seen plenty of his career and seen his Dodgers chapter especially. What were you thinking as you watched you Darvish last night?
0: Yeah, well, let me go back to the start before because I think after he got through the second inning in the last start against the D-backs, it looked an awful lot like Hugh Darvish. I mean, the, the slider was really crisp. Uh, the fastball was in the zone a little bit more. And so I think you saw as that start went on, okay, he's closer to being what you remembered. Last night reminded me an awful lot of the guy that we saw in Texas, which is he would get himself into jams from, now, from time to time, but be able to get out of it. And I think that's what you saw in the first inning, right? Loads the bases with one out, gets a couple of punch-outs to get out of the inning, gets in a little bit of two-out trouble in the second, and then basically cruised from there. I mean, the only hit he gave up after that was the home run to Peralta, and, you know, the fact that he got through six obviously was hugely encouraging from from the Cubs' standpoint. So um, I think that, you know, everybody should be encouraged by it. I think the fact that the velocity and stuff has been there, uh, has been really encouraging for him. You know, since spring training, I saw his first spring training start this year, and while he was wild, he was you know in the mid 90s with his fastball. And I think, you know, especially for a power guy, control and command can be the last thing to come. And listen, I don't think he's going to suddenly turn into a guy that's walking six percent of hitters, but I do think what you saw last night was more indicative of the talent level that you Darvish has. And now the question is, is he able to repeat it on a start to start basis?
1: You know, as we're watching these Cubs kind of round into looking more like the team we expected, just, you know, a little bit over 500, but Rizzo is explosive his last eight games. Bryant has. an OPS of 980 over his last uh, eight games. Now that Lester is back, the starters, you know, have have looked really good over the past about 12, 13 games. Where do they stand in the National League from what you've seen so far? If this is the Cubs, you know, if this is if this is what they are, what where are they when you think about the best teams in the National League?
0: Well, I think it's one that, and and I'll I'll admit to being guilty of this to some degree. I mean, I, I kind of we were all on that Brewer bandwagon because of the way they were able to match their talent uh, in the postseason last year. But the Cubs are an immensely talented squad, and on the offensive side, I mean, the rotation. Um, you know, I'm not sure that there are many teams in the National League, maybe save for LA, that can match that overall. Uh, the bullpen is still a major question mark. And I think that's going to continue to be a question mark. I, I heard that with David's line the other day, that was it's going to be a transactional bullpen. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> uh, there's going to be a lot of movement, you know, up and down from Iowa to, to to Wrigley and, you know, likely on the trade and waiver wire as well over the course of the season to try and, and make that bullpen work. Um, but, you know, I it's a really good team and, I think the one thing that they have going against them is the division in which they play, which is you know really good. I mean the Cardinals are off to a good start. I think there's maybe I maybe they're not quite as good offensively as what they've shown to this point, but I also think like they're starting pitching as a chance to be better than it's shown to this point. Um, you know Milwaukee's been kind of enigmatic. They, their, their starters haven't been good, although Chase Anderson going back into the rotation seems to help stabilize that some. Uh, Pittsburgh is going to is a really quality pitching staff, although their offense I think is going to struggle. And and the wild card in this is Cincinnati, who despite the fact they got off to a miserable start, actually has outscored their opponents over the course of the season. And coming into the weekend, only Tampa had allowed fewer runs than the Reds had this year. So it's a really difficult decision, division. It's going to be difficult to rack up a 95 win total, um, but they're certainly capable of being a, a Postseason team and being at the front of that division again this year, based on the overall talent.
1: We're talking to Mike farren does pre imposed for the Diamondbacks, and also you hear him on MLB Network Radio. Why, um, why did why did that ball club you work for have to give Paul Goldschmidt to the Cardinals? I mean, why? It's
0: uh, they just wanted to make. Chicagoans' life miserable, that's right, all. You right? know, it's all retired Chicagoans here, so they're just trying to take
1: it back. Right. It's like, give us another Portillo's out here, and then, <laughs> and then, and then maybe we won't, we won't trade Goldschmidt if to Salem. If they could have
0: made the Geno's work, then that would have been... That would have <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, you know, I think that the problem, you know, that Arizona faces and the Diamondbacks face is, part of it is market size and revenues, and they are... They are um, they are not one of the higher revenue teams in baseball. They, they have a, a decent television deal, but um, you know in terms of uh, revenue streams, they're down towards the bottom, and hmm. they are in a position where they had a number of players, and you'll notice currently on the roster, they have a lot of guys that are four-plus service time, so they're getting close to the agency. They have a number of players that are not quite as young as maybe their reputation was, and when you already have one Thirty million dollar a year player on a roster, and makes it very difficult to uh, you know to manage a roster when you would have two guys potentially over the age of thirty making similar money. Um, you know the extension that Goldschmidt signed to the Cardinals was never available to the Diamondbacks to be able to sign. Even if they did do a deal with him when they discussed the extension, it would have it potentially would have hamstrung them from making other decisions. And you know I, I get that it's very popular right now to slam ownership for you know, across the game or as spending money or not spending money. But the fact is that everybody has a limit to their revenues, and it may be more more apparent towards the bottom of the revenue structure than at the top, um, that that there are still limits and teams have to make trades at times that are extremely unpopular with their fan base.
2: Yeah, and you
1: can be so, successful. You can be successful doing it. Uh, and 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 how did they yeah. do? I mean, Luke Weaver will pitch today. I know Carson Kelly has been has been pretty bad uh, so far, but uh, you know, I I don't know where the hell you got Christian Walker at age twenty eight doing what he's doing. <laughs> uh, but it's so so how did how did they do on the deal? Because I get the necessity.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Weaver's been really good. I think that's the, the the most encouraging thing right now is the way that he's pitched. I mean, he looks much closer to the guy that he was in the second half of 17 with St. Louis. So that's encouraging. Um, Kelly's offense hasn't been there, but I think you know, MLB just released their first version of, of their pitch framing metrics um, you know, for, for stat tests, And he's in the top five in getting extra strikes, which is huge. Um, and one of the major focuses that they have in the catcher position is defense. So I think they still see some growth with Belly there on the offensive side. Um, and they got another draft pick in it. And this is a huge year for the Diamondbacks organization. And that I think it's—I can never remember exactly. I should, you know, I should know this. It's not like I work for the team or anything. Uh-huh. I believe eight of the first ninety-three picks um, that the Diamondbacks have, and maybe it's nine in the top one hundred. Um, so this is a huge, huge year. They have the second-largest draft pool in history in the hard, in the hard cap uh, era. Um, and so they, that was a big part of that deal as well. And then they've got a second baseman in AA named, named Andy Young who went to Indiana State, who's um, you know an interesting prospect as well. So you know they lose the impact of Paul Goldschmidt, certainly, who is a tremendous player. And I think even Mike Hazen made the argument when he traded him that you know, he was the best player in the National League in his mind. And I certainly think he's in the team photo for that um but you're never really going to win that trade the hope that you can do is you hope to skate it to a draw and um so far at least the returns from Weaver and and on the defensive side with Kelly have been positive.
1: You know what's so interesting as we look around the league Mike and we think about the front offices it's really hard to find the sucker at the poker table now. Like there were there were a couple for a while there when oh Dave Stewart was out there in Arizona that that, that was kind of fun and you you'd think maybe I could take advantage of that guy in Baltimore where you know, everybody went after Arietta, then Kevin Gaussman, like boy I don't like what they're doing with pitchers. Let me go grab guys from them. There's not there's not much stupid left out there in MLB and front offices, is there?
0: Well, it's a little bit different environment. You're right. I mean, I think I think it's it's probably more I think the argument that I've heard an awful lot is that it's more homogenous in its thought process, right? So uh, you know, we're all we're all basically children of the same analytic evolution in baseball and that we're all about the same age, right? That, that they're going through this. It's a lot of guys who are running teams that are in their uh, late thirties to, to mid forties and all came through their uh, statistical awakening at the advent of, of um, you know, a, a lot of the building abstract and baseball perspectives and fan graphs. And so, um, you know, you're probably in belief in, I think that is going to be a shift. I think you. I, I don't know that it's necessarily that you're you're finding the guy that you're trying to con at the poker table, but I do think what you're going to start to see is some changes in player development philosophies that are going to separate some teams from the other, at least in terms of what they believe. I think you've already seen it with the Houston's and the Los Angeleses. Um, And now there are teams that are trying really hard to try to keep up with the Joneses regard Mm -hmm. um, and may not be able to. And there are going to be some teams that lag behind who fall into the same category that, that, you know, led us to questioning everything in the statistical revolution in that, like, you know, why, why are we doing all the things that we've done before we've always done? And I think there are going to be some teams that are going to keep doing it the way that they've done. So, I think this balance is probably short-lived because there's always going to be the next thing that comes about yeah. that changes the equation, and and I think that the next step is going to be on player development. I
1: I want to I want to know what those Astros and those Dodgers are doing. I, it, there was that great piece yeah. that, that I think was I think it was in the Ringer over the off season about just how much goes on in the front offices that we don't know, and it, it went yeah. it, it went into detail about how. You know, the, the people are like, organizations are grouping all of the hitters who are a certain type within their organization and measuring their swing plane against all of the pitchers that they're measuring at every level with a certain type of pitch and that that trajectory and kind of matching up swing plane to pitch tunnel, if you will, that, that, that kind of thing. Yep. Is, is that kind of what you're talking about, using some of those well, tools? I mean,
0: that's to some degree, yeah. I mean, there, there's a book that's about to come out in June called The MVP Mach- Machine, written by Ben Lindbergh and and Travis Sochick, and I had a chance to, to read it. And I think it's going to be like a bomb growing off in about 20 different player development departments because it outlines a lot of um, – what the outsider ideas have been that have started to trickle into baseball. And I think that there are some teams that don't realize how far behind the curve that they are. Mm. Um, and I think some of it is, you know, I, 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 get that if you watch some television analysts, they'll laugh about things like exit velocity and launch angle and, and all of this, but, but listen, let's, let's take it back a notch and think, the scouts have always looked for guys that hit the ball really hard and hit hard line drives. Absolutely. Well, we have- we have a more accurate way to describe that now just like you know the radar gun gave us a better idea of what velocity was and i think that there are training techniques that are allowing guys to be more consistent some guys and being more consistent in the way that they're hitting the way that they're pitching that they're better tools to be able to help players improve and technology is cool and most young people like technology and most baseball players are young people and it's really easy to get them to buy into that compared to the numbers that we would show, a kid. Because I don't. I mean, listen. As much as I'm a numbers guy too, like my eyes glass over if I get too much algebra.
3: So yeah. I
0: think that there's there are a lot of really interesting things that are coming down the pipe from baseball after their teams, and a lot of already at a professional level, especially in colleges. And what you're seeing are you know the Twins hire an SEC pitching coach to be their major league pitching coach. The the Twins and Rangers in particular spent a lot of time this winter hiring college coaches who understood the technology to work in player development. And I think that's where you're starting to see. And there, there's resources out there to learn about that if you're willing to go and find it. And some of this stuff is
1: Mind blowing. Wow. Yeah. See, th- that's the stuff. I-, I love that stuff. And, and-, and to your point, I've- I mean, I used to have to argue it a lot. You don't really have to argue it too much anymore, but anytime people like, say, oh, we're overwhelmed with the numbers, a lot of it is, as you say, what I've called quantifiable scouting. It's just, it's, just, yeah. it's just doing that a little better because we can see when guys hit the ball hard. Like, all of a sudden, we can talk about spin rate instead of saying, boy, that guy's curveball really has a bite to it. Or, yeah. you know, or, or we can talk about pitch tunnels instead of saying, you know, the thing is, his cutter looks like his fastball. And then, it, you know, it, it's, like, mm. it, it, it's just there are shortcuts to the conversation that lead you to be able to go further now.
0: 100 percent. And it's another tool that scouts can use, too, to check what they're seeing. I mean, that's the other thing is that, you know, like, th- listen, I, I think there, there are there is none of this should replace scouting. Right. I'm a big scouting player development guy. And and I think that these are extra tools that scouts can be able to use to help evaluate players and it can help give you a more complete picture on it. Um, and and I think that's what's really interesting. I don't think you know Houston going away from the professional accounting department. I don't like that. I don't think that that's particularly right. They understand what they're trying to do, and that they feel like they have more active, um, information through a lot of this data. But I, I do think run the risk. You know, just like we were just talking about how the game can be a little bit homogenous right now. and
3: yeah.
0: people earned. But you have a lot of homogenous players. If they don't fit into your exact silo, you're going to miss on them. And okay, you may say, okay, fine, we're, going to be, you know, we're comfortable with that. But at some point, you know, what if your silo, what if your data point is just a little bit off? You know, you're only as good as the data you're putting into it. And I do think that there is something to be said for subjectivity. I do think there is something to be said for the makeup of a player, for watching the way a guy plays the game, yep. whether or not they have feel for the game. All of that stuff is still important. It's just that the quantifiables, as, as you put it, you know, I think that's it's spot on. It just gives you a chance to have better data points
1: to work from. Yeah, you can go just a little bit further. Um, last thing for you, Mike, and enjoying thinking about sort of the development of the game and how it's how it's going around the league. What, what are we to take from the San Diego Padres? bringing the kids up like Tatis and saying screw it on the service time and our moment is now and here they are right in the middle of things in your National League West is that when you mix that with all these these preemptive you know contracts that the Ronald Acuna's of the world are signing are we going to see even more aggression from organizations with their young players
0: yeah I mean I think it's going to depend uh, on the organization I mean you just thought with the Toronto Blue Jays, they waited a long time on Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I get that he was hurt and that was part of it, but um, they waited well by the date that they, they would have needed to, to to gain an extra year of control for a player who wasn't on the 40-man roster. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to depend organization to organization on something like that. I mean, obviously the Cubs you know, went through this a few years ago with Chris Bryant. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that, that Tatis is up from the, you know, the you want to see the best young players and if you're ready, you're ready. Um, I think it's a little more foolish to play that game with pitchers because pitchers, you know, pitchers are born to get hurt, kind of. You know, there's there's a far greater risk of injury with pitcher than there is a position player. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of uncertainty as to what the next collective bargaining agreement is going to say, uh, how much is really going to change in it. All of those things are factors, but you can't really control what's happening six years down the road. And I think they're in as good a position as they're going to be to start being able to compete. They need help on the pitching side. San Diego's rotation is a little bit young and a little bit shaky, and they don't have a ton of ceiling in that group, but they certainly have an immensely talented left side of their infield with Machado and Tatis. And, and those guys are going to be in the middle of that order and be probably the most dynamic duo the Padres have ever had offensively.
1: Mike, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much uh, for the time on a Sunday morning. Enjoy Quintana and Luke Weaver this afternoon. And, uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll trade you uh, some tributosaurus tickets for some Diamondbacks tickets anytime.
0: That's good, Just let me know when you need them, and I will. Uh, and then I will have to be cheering in the back of the room.
1: Uh, you're the best. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Yep. Okay, that's Mike Farron, pre and post for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And you'll hear him on MLB Network Radio. I uh, love that. All right, 670, the score is where you are. We'll talk to our Bruce Levine from over at Guaranteed Rate Field. Get the latest on Eloy Jimenez and more on the score.
3: I feel lucky. It wasn't too bad. It's just a spring ankle and uh it's going to be good. It's going to be all right. I'm uh, going to be bagging when I come back. i going to play hard. I, no matter what. If the boys is on my way, I'm going to be play hard and hustle for my team.
1: That is Eloy Jimenez, one of the young Sox superstars of the future, hopefully. And that is him speaking about his high ankle sprain and his placement on the 10-day injured list today. Retroactive to Friday, Iloy Jimenez placed on that list, Nate Jones placed on that list by the White Sox, and Aaron Bummer coming up to the big league club, and flamethrower Thiago Vieira. I love calling guys flamethrowers, especially when they hit triple digits on their fastball like Vieira does. Let's watch him, see if he gets uh, some chances in, in big moments, that's a possible Closer of the future for your White Sox, um, or their White Sox, or whoever they are. But let's get a little more context on the information we got this morning about Eloy Jimenez from the Scores baseball expert Bruce Levine. You can see him on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Hear him on Saturday mornings on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Bruce. How are you?
4: Good morning, Matt. Uh, Yeah, uh, we we got to talk to Ricky Renneria as well as to uh, Eloy Jimenez about uh his most recent injury that occurred Friday night when he hit the ball the wall with his right foot and uh came up lame and uh, now we know that it's going to be at least uh, a couple of weeks Matt until he is reevaluated again before we'll know uh, exactly the length but you know you know the the quick uh rule of thumb is it's going to be at least 2 weeks uh with this high ankle sprain he said that he had no idea personally how long it's going to be and when I asked uh, Ricky Renteria, he wouldn't get involved in uh, trying to put a timetable on it.
1: Now, uh, that said, Bruce, um, two weeks before they even check in, that doesn't mean in two weeks they're going to say, all right, yep, everything's good. We're going to move forward. I mean, from from everything that you've dealt with before, it's going to be longer than two weeks, right?
4: You would think. I mean, uh, if, he, if he can't do anything for two weeks, Matt, uh, that means that he— has to go back through, you know, the rehabilitation of getting his legs ready again and his foot ready. And, uh, you know, so if you wanted to assume a way, you could assume a way that it'd be three weeks to a month before he's back on a field. But we don't know that. We don't know exact timetable. Uh, all we know it's a high ankle sprain. We we do know from history that if you have ligaments that are stretched or that are impacted on this, and that's what a sprain is, uh, ligament, you know, sprain, uh, then you then you you don't know exactly what grade until the team or the doctors tell you what grade this injury is.
1: And I remember years ago Mike Ditka saying, "I'd rather be pooled low than pooled high." Like the the high <laughs> the, the high pull yeah. is not ideal, Bruce.
4: Right? Yeah, and uh, you know the, neither are great, but the the, the idea that um, you know it's better or worse than a break with a if it's a broken foot not good, but you have a, a direct timetable of the healing process. With uh, ligaments, it's a little trickier than that. And, you know, hopefully with all the uh, treatment that they're doing right now, um, and they're obviously very aggressive on it, but right now it's only ice, and he's wearing a, a recumbent boot uh, to walk around in, and uh, that that's the treatment for right this moment. He said beyond that, he does not know, um, you know, the oral uh, you know, drugs that they're going to be giving him for the end and uh, whether it's stimulation machine or other aspects of technology are going to come in and treating this. Um,
1: any conversation, Bruce, about what happens when he comes back, whether it is, you know, um, more outfield work or mixing in some yeah. DH work, any of that kind of conversation?
4: No, too raw right now, Matt, too raw for him. He's just uh, still struggling. He said that he watched the video once. And that he'll never watch it again. He doesn't want to look at it anymore. So that was that was enough for him. So he's still in the stage of trying to get his head around the fact that uh, he had been making so much progress, had just come back from from being on the bereavement list for a week, and uh, his first time out, and he uh, he hurts himself. He did say that his aggressiveness when he comes back and the way he plays won't change, but uh, you know certainly uh, this is a hit for him and the team right now. So uh, again two weeks minimum before they reevaluate them I mean, after that. We'll know more. But, um, you know, again, ice. He said ice, ice, and ice, you know, four, five, six times a day. Uh, that's the only treatment right now.
1: Well, uh, that's going to mean Jose Rondon a lot in left field, I suppose, and, and Ryan Cordell. Um, yeah. Those guys getting a lot more playing time, which is not the worst thing in the world. Figure out what you got with these guys.
4: Yeah, nobody should jump to uh, Luis Robert right now. I don't think – I don't think that's in the mix. He's going to spend a whole year in the minor leagues and hmm. continue to go up the ladder there. But there's there's not going to be any talk about him this year. He he needs at least a full year in the minor leagues and maybe he can pr- progress up a couple of steps along the way, double A, triple A at the end of the year. But uh, there's there's no there's no talk about him being promoted. So that type of stuff we'll, we won't hear about. But there you know there are guys out there that are continuing on outfield strength. Uh, is something that the White Sox appear to have when you talk about minor league. You and I have talked about it at, on Inside the Clubhouse pretty often, the fact that that seems to be where the, the core of uh, good players like Robert and, um, you know, Basabe and uh, a couple of the other really good young players are coming from. So this is, uh, you know, it's a minor glitch, hopefully, for Jimenez and the White Sox, but it's certainly one that's impactful right now.
1: Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for the time and the context.
4: All right, Matt. Have a great day. You got
1: it, too. That's Bruce Levine out there at Guaranteed Rate Field. So, yeah, you know, one of the things you got to do if you're the White Sox is figure out exactly what you got with these uh, quadruple-A guys. I think you have learned what you have with Nicky Delmonico. I think you've learned what you have, for the most part, with Daniel Palka, for better or for worse, right? I think you've learned what you have with Adam Engel. I mean, maybe some of these guys can progress a little bit, but really you're trying to figure out who, what you have. I think you should figure out what you have with Ryan Cordell, what you have with Jose Rondon, you know, you put, give these guys time. This is part of what you have to do as a, in a rehab cycle through these guys. Cause maybe you'll find some gems, but maybe you won't and go ahead and fearlessly work your way through some of those guys along the way. And I get Dylan
2: ceases at the, at the top of that list, but Ozzie Guillen was out with Moline Hall this week and he brought up the point, why waste bullets in the minors instead of the majors? And I and I get that she's had the rough outing earlier this week so the White Sox could use that as an excuse that he still has the the um, you know checks to to mark off, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's still a a, pr- a prospect that you need to see progress from at the major league level, like it took Moncada a year to get to where he is right now.
1: Yeah, give him his chance here, like they tried to do with Kopech last year, and it just it went so so poorly. Obviously, with the injury that that Kopech is is damaged and recovering, and he won't be back until next year. But I would definitely give Cease, and I think he will get um, a month or two up here. You know, it's funny, We were talking yesterday about whether they would bring Dylan Cease up, say, in June, have him pitch for a couple of months, and then shut him down in September. But Bruce thinks what they'll do is what they did with Chris Sale along the way, what they've done with other guys, which is skip him every couple of times through the rotation. So you'll have that innings max that you want to get to 160 or whatever, but they'll throw them in the bullpen and skip them for a start. Or, then you know, just that kind of thing. So you stretch them out, get them used to the grind of the months of the season, if not the constant usage. All right, one more segment to go on Hit and Run at the top of the hour. It's Mark Brody and Anthony Heron to take, uh, take your Bears draft calls as well as anything else you want to do. They'll be on from noon until Cubs pregame. But if you want to hop in right now on anything baseball that we've discussed along with the Cubs and the White Sox, Eloy Jimenez's injury, the White Sox rebuild plans, Tim Anderson's emergence, Javier Baez's stature on the team and how that impacts what's going to happen with Addison Russell coming back up here. The, emer- the arrival of Brizzo. They're here. Rizzo and Bryant are here and what that means. And whether last night was indeed potentially that turning point game for you, Darvish. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. 6711 if you want to text. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run for another 20 minutes on 670 The Score. Here's a deep drive to right field. Get out the tape measure. Long gone for Anthony Rizzo. Way back into the seats in right Cubs lead 8-1. Rizzo's fifth
0: of the season, and it was a tape measure drive to right.
1: Last eight games of this season, Anthony Rizzo has an OPS of 1.256. He's got 10 hits, three walks, and he's been hit by three pitches to get on base. And the power is there. Three extra base hits last night, including that home run right there. You also add the big game from David Bodie with the two home runs. Saw this nugget via Mark Gonzalez of the Tribune that of Bodie's nine home runs, six of them have come with men on base. Six of his nine home runs in his career have come with men on base. And four of them have come with at least two outs. Sorry, not at least two outs. not like there could be more than two outs. Three outs He's not batting. Four of them have come with two outs. So, high leverage, clutch, flair for the dramatic, however you want to say it. David Bode is all of that in a bag of chips in the small sample that is one year and one week of his baseball career. This is Dan in Northbrook. You're on 670 the score, you're on hit and run. Good morning, Dan. Hey, Matt. So,. You I'm thinking about the
2: Russell and, and Baez issue about who should play short and who should play second. And it reminds me of what you know you hear football coaches say, especially offensive line coaches, that you don't want to make two positions worse for the sake of one. And if you look at Russell's metrics, um, I think he was at shortstop, um his defensive metrics were way better than Baez. And I think part, in part because he made the Routine plays so much better. His range is great.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know,
2: and if you look at if you look at Bias, you know, and you put aside you know the flash of the plate and everything, he's a phenomenal athlete. But there are some other phenomenal athletes at shortstop that are um, as good or better, at least defensively. If, the, if you look at the metrics, but at second base, there aren't those kind of athletes. And so, if you move Bias to second base, you potentially have a, a really plus shortstop and a phenomenally plus second baseman and I don't know if you have that necessarily if you put Russell at second base he'd be so- a,
1: it's a good it's a good call Dan he'd be a work in progress there obviously and you know Baez absolutely incredibly special at second base and there's very few of those guys second base is often where you hide somebody you have to play and they just have limited range but, you know, they make at least the routine plays. Like Daniel Murphy was there for a lot of years because of his bat. But you played him at second base. Or, you know, um, so, so I, I think absolutely the best defensive alignment possible does have Baez at second and Russell at short. Taking everything into account. But Baez's comfort level and what he wants to do is a factor here. That human factor of him playing the way he is and again what they've said his stature in the room how how important he is and what his teammates think of him he's a made guy i'm not saying he gets to write his own ticket completely but he's got to be on board with what you're doing it would take some finesse some conversation as well as all the the sense you know, having it be far and away the most sensible thing, which I don't think it is far away the most sensible thing because you don't know when you get, what you're going to get from Addison's bat. So, you know, Addison has been absolutely brutal with the bat for large portions of his career since 2016. Just in chaos up there without a plan. So are you are willing to sacrifice that completely for a guy, for a bat like Descalso or a bat like Bodie? or a hitter with a track record of Zobrist, even if he's not succeeding so far. So it's not, it's not in a bubble, it's not on a spreadsheet, um, and it's not super easy. 670 The Score is where you are this hour, of which is brought to you by Menards. Save big money <clears throat> at Menards. This is Ron on the south side on The Score. What's up, Ron? Good morning.
3: Hey, hey, hey good morning, Matt. Well, uh, I really, really just enjoyed you and Paul Sell. That was great. Uh, you were talking about Tim Anderson. Before the season started, Tim Anderson said that before he was relying on his athleticism, he was a former basketball player, and he wanted to become a baseball player. Matt, to me, uh, nothing underscored that any more than when you talked about the 10 bases. Is not the number, it's the fact that he has not been caught. And what that is telling me, Matt, he's into the game mentally. Because we know, still bases base is not only about speed, knowing the situation, winning the steal, uh, who's pitching, who's batting. So I just want to point that, just watching him evolve, and I, I'm going to throw some out to you, Matt, maybe you can respond to it next week. When was the last time the White Sox had a player that was very good offensively, and very good defensively. I can. I think you make a good argument that it was Robin Ventura.
1: I've heard you bring that up, Ron. That you know you're feeling like a guy is real good defensively, real good offensively. Anderson still has more to go um, defensively. He's getting there. He's got more to go offensively and proving that um, that on base percentage can be up where it needs to be. It was a brutal year last year for on base percentage, and you know this batting average isn't going to stay at 402. So will that OBP stay up as the season goes on? I hope so. I I have so much respect for the dude. I really do for Tim Anderson for what he's done <clears throat> with himself as a player, with as a person for his Anderson's League of Leaders, which has its alliance with youth youth guidance with their BAM and their and their and their WOW programs, and what he's trying to do in the community. And man, that's a, that's a good dude in the heart and soul of. Of what hopefully will be a good team pretty soon. Not yet, but pretty soon. Bottom of the hour, by the way, was brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Nothing beats playoff hockey in Chicago. Your Central Division champion Chicago Wolves in Grand Rapids played today at 3 at All-State Arena in a winner-take-all game. For playoff information or tickets, visit chicagowolves.com. You know what's not getting enough, uh, enough recognition? is the absurd start nationally for the Minnesota Twins. People talked about the, sea, the, the Mariners and all their power, power coming out of the gate... Do you realize that the Twins, who hit five more homers yesterday, through 23 games of this season, they have set a franchise record for home runs, extra base hits, total bases, slugging percentage, and OPS. This is the best Twins offensive start since they had Harmon Killebrew and Tony Oliva on the team in 1964. That, that's how good they've been. And some of those guys, if they're on your fantasy team, you know. Here's the big question for me in fantasy, and I know you care. I cut you, Darvish, this past this past week before last night's start. Do I go back to the well and add him back for next week? He remains available in the league that I'm in with Tom Fornelli and Will Brinson, and Neil, and, you know, not to drop names. Um... But he remains available. Do I go back to the U. Darvish? Well, was this the turning point game? You know what? I'm going to stay away.
2: What was your big line a couple years ago? Is this the thing that turned the Cubs' season around?
1: Oh, yeah. I I I did that for everybody. I've done that for for a decade. And yeah, because I I would tweet it in all caps. You know, Um, remember the remember the Kyle Fuller batted pass attempt. That turned the entire Bears season around like you just grasp at any particular straw and say, that's it. That's it. But this might have been the start that does it for you, Darvish. He survived 56 pitches through two innings and then he settled down. He had a lead. Give you Darvish a lead. If there's one thing to take away from uh, today. Just remember that Joe Madden said, I think you Darvish is a pretty good front runner historically. And when his team scores first, we checked it out. You Darvish is 47-11 with an ERA of 2.50. Give that man some runs. It's hard when he starts at home and gives up two in the first. <laughs> and you can't really do anything about it. But when you can, give him a lead. Thank you to our guest today, Paul Sullivan from the Tribune. That was a really fun 10 o'clock hour. Check it out if you missed it. Mike Ferrin from Arizona Diamondbacks pre and post and MLB radio and Chris Kamka from NBC sports Chicago. Thank you so much. Eli Hershkovich for a great job as always. Mark Grody and Anthony Herron are next right here on 670 to score. Oh, by the way, by the way, next week, my guest co-host with the Cardinals in town is Chris Ranji, your former White Sox pre and post game pal, Chris Ranji. He's in here with me next week on 670, the score on Hit and Run. That should be some fun. All right, have a great week, everybody.
3: Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode, and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows.